Welcome to the Online for Authors podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer Palmer. It is with great esteem and privilege that I share this interview with you. Faith Wood is not only a dear friend, she is an extremely wonderful individual with the biggest heart. Joy, joy is coming to mind when I think about what to share with you. She was the first to suggest that I work with authors and the first author I did work with. Thank you, Faith, for trusting me. Faith is currently doing a podcast tour. I'm elated every time I see a new interview come out. Can you hear my smile as I talk about Faith? This episode is packed. Faith Wood, a former peace officer and court-appointed mediator, has studied hypnosis, neurolinguistic programming, handwriting analysis, and devours research on neuroplasticity. She's developed significant experience in problem-solving while appreciating the importance of emotional wellness. Addicted to suspense stories since early childhood, Faith has a passion for solving puzzles and creating mysteries. She's an award-winning author of fiction and nonfiction, a compelling international speaker, motivator, performer, trainer, and business consultant, a skilled narrator and human behaviorist with a sense of humor and an adventurous spirit. An outdoor enthusiast, Faith wanders the Okanagan Valley in British Columbia, Canada with her husband, her spunky golden retrievers, and her wine-loving friends. I'm happy to say I'm a wine-loving friend. I just don't live in the Okanagan. Faith is led by curiosity. She did not pick a lane, as many encourage us to do, preferring to entertain the entire highway to inspire minds as the principle of Inspiring Minds Consulting. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I enjoyed creating it and sharing it with you. Join me in welcoming Faith Wood to the Online for Authors podcast. Thank you, Faith, for being here. Thank you for having me. So let's talk about how it all started. It started with the nonfiction. Book. Is that what you wrote first was the nonfiction? Nonfiction books. Life Under the Limbo Bar, which is a stress management, kind of a humorous approach to how we take life way too seriously. Oh, and it so was a book that I always wanted to write. It was in my head. And I've been writing articles for the local paper. And when I left my law enforcement job, I thought, I'm going to write this book and just thought just for fun, you know, just to see if I could write a book. Mm -hmm. And um, I really just wanted to put it together. And I had all the articles and everyone, you know, I listened to all the gurus who said, yeah, you just take your articles and then put them together and add some content around stress management. And voila, you have a book. At the same time I was writing that, my twin sister got sick. Mm -hmm. and diagnosed with an incurable disease. And she wanted to go for an experimental treatment in Mexico that she couldn't afford. And so I put everything, my business, my books, everything on hold. And I gathered up a few entrepreneurial friends and we got together and created the Faith for Fern campaign. Mm. And we raised the $100,000 US that she needed to go to Mexico to do this experimental treatment. I think that's about the time we met. Yes, yeah, we were doing. And I think it was through um, actually eWomen Network. eWomen Network. Yeah, that I actually come across. Uh, you know, the fact that you were promoting this and trying to do this for your sister. But how did she find out she was sick? She'd been. She'd had an injury to a knee, Ooh. and it just wouldn't heal. Wouldn't heal, and and she kept kind of going to physio and going to Cairo and doing all kinds of seeing doctors. And it was a, a physiotherapist who looked at it and said, I hate to tell you this, but I think you have reflex sympathetic dystrophy. And she said, well, what is that? Right. And he said, you need to go talk to the doctor and do the tests. And yeah, it turned out to be that. Now they call it CRPS, chronic regional pain syndrome. But at the time it was RSV. And so it was, it's a really, it was a dire sentence and she has it full body some people only get it in a limb but she has full body and and um it feels like you've been doused in gasoline and lit on fire is how she describes it and it's quite debilitating and it makes it very difficult to walk to function to have normal relationships and she had three young kids and you know what, what could i could I do all I could do I didn't have the cash so all I could do is long in the days before GoFundMe yeah 
Yeah. So I started this campaign and I did the e-women circuit and yeah. I spoke at a number at the Chamber of Commerce, but e-women was pretty instrumental in giving me a platform. And we put postcards out and we made the ask, you know, would you help with a donation to help my sister? And um, I got on the, you know, global television helped us and mm -hmm. uh, we were able, it was with BizBox TV at the time, they don't exist anymore, but BizBox TV did a bunch of videos and we flew yeah. them out to Victoria to meet her. And when it was after I'd done that, I, I'd had so many people ask me, you know, how could you do it? And, and mm -hmm. so the book, the first book I ever produced turned out to be not the stress management kind of humorous, funny book, but right. fundraising shoestring and I I wrote it because I wanted other people who had a, a desire to figure out how to help somebody like we did you know if you had a family member and you were desperate to help them how could you do it how could you put a campaign together and see it from start to finish and then all of the steps of really understanding how to demonstrate integrity protect the money, put it into trust, like a, a whole bunch of um, real tangible steps. So that book actually came out of the notes I took as we went along. Everything we did, I documented. And mm -hmm. we got a lawyer on board that kept the trust and we were able to show integrity in the funds. And and mm -hmm. so I've, I still probably to this day talk about um, running fundraising campaigns, what's important? What are the elements that are really critical? How do you keep a team moving forward? You know, how do you keep that team motivation, keep them, keep them really focused on the outcome that you're after? And then, then how do you share that? Mm -hmm. Because of course, in my, in my day job, I'm a professional speaker and a consultant who works on conflict management and communications. And so knowing how to do your communication is such a key part, whether you're speaking to people internally, so within your team, or mm -hmm. externally, those people who are participating at some level. And that has led to doing a lot of work with not-for-profits and, and doing a lot of that strategic communication work, which I think is so critical. Percentage of the proceeds of that book go back to the charity as well, like perpetually or? Yeah. And still to this day, actually, 50% of the, the income that we draw from it goes straight back into the Faith Reform campaign. Yeah. And she, because she, she still needs help today. Um, she still has a ton of expenses. And so the ketamine worked very, very well, in the, which, was the, which was the trial that they were running in Mexico. The challenge was that nobody here in Canada wanted to give her those treatments. They felt the ketamine was too high a dosage. And so she's fighting for well so that was 2009 she's wow. been fighting ever since to get the treatments so now she lives in ottawa not victoria and she gets treat she's finally after all these years last year she found a physician in a pain clinic in toronto who is willing to do it and so all the money that's been raised to date is helping uh, cover some of those costs not all of them obviously but some of those costs to date and then I, I also give that book um, for free to not-for-profits who, who just lack the funding and the mechanisms. They don't have the big teams, but they have a really important cause. And then I mm -hmm. give them free and all the tip sheets that I've created that go with it. Oh, that's really nice. Somebody who's looking for help in that department to get a hold of you. Yeah, we've got it up on the website so they can download an e-copy straight from the website. But that being said, the book was written in 2009, so people would need to know that not all the links are as current anymore as they used to be. That The content, um, so the, the, the links that feed the Faith for Fern campaign have long been yeah. disbanded. Yeah. And so have many of the, um, the not-for-profit examples, potentially, that I've that I are in that first book, but the, the actual strategic how to do it still applies. Um, still great information in terms of how to put a team together, how to raise money when you don't have money to begin with. And I think even as entrepreneurs, there's a lot of tips in that book on marketing yeah. and how to do it at low cost. And certainly things have changed a lot, but it's a nice kind of groundwork, I would say to helping people figure out where to get started 
it can be so daunting when you want to, I'm, I'm going to go back to, you want to help somebody. You've got a family member who's in trouble and GoFundMe is a great option that didn't exist back then, or it would be in the book. Maybe yeah. we should redo the book. Maybe we should do like the, the decade later. All yeah, the yeah. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Crowdfunds and all that. Add the crowdfunding. Yeah. All the things that have changed. But, um, and certainly I do a lot of that with Rotary as well. So um, I help our local Rotary Club with their not-for-profit stuff and running um, online auctions. So all those things that are just not in that book because those those apps and those mechanisms didn't exist when we did it. Right. But the principles of, of how to keep a team moving forward, whether it's to raise money or it's for another cause, I think are, are still very, very accurate today. Now, do you do speaking and coaching on this as well? I sure do, yeah. Co yeah. Uh, lots of coaching and certainly online, which makes me very happy that so many people since COVID um, have been able to embrace technology mm -hmm. and are more comfortable with the technology now because it means that I can help people no matter where they are in the world. Mm -hmm. And so that's really uh, fabulous in my estimation. But a lot of what you want to do sometimes is about your mindset. And mm -hmm. so, you know, we all have this big fear of how it looks so big. And I was just actually on the radio just after New Year's and everybody's a, a bit, you know, reticent. I, I was going to get started on that New Year's resolution or that goal or that objective, or I didn't even say it out loud because I was afraid of, of it not coming true. Mm -hmm. And so I was on the radio in Calgary talking about, um, you know, we have to build kindling, do things in small steps. Mm -hmm. So if you think about nobody starts a bonfire by throwing the big logs on first, we might have a big audacious goal, but it's hard to get there if we don't have all the baby steps that get us where we want to be. And, and that's that raising on a shoestring talks about that baby steps in order. Yeah. Where do you start? Where do you go next? And I think that's a big part of, of all of our journeys, you know, even at, whether we're entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, just trying to get started. Coaching is about identifying the weak points. Uh, a lot of people have gone into coaching, but I think it's so helpful when you have a coach who's a real observation-based coach who listens to where you're coming from and then points out what's missing. And I think what I love about traditional coaching, when we think about sports coaching, is that there's a finite skill that they're, that the coach is able to watch for. And so they recognize, let's say it's a, Maybe it's a, a, a batting coach and, the, you know, you're just dropping your shoulder. And so they teach you, they're observing and then pointing out where you need to lift. And that is such an important part of coaching. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes people think it's counseling. It's not counseling. Coaching is about looking at your fundamentals, figuring out what's missing, where it's missing in the process and helping you integrate it in a way that that makes things happen. And that book, Fundraising on a Shoestring, really took my coaching head and this campaign and married the two of them up and said, here's what you need to know, right? And, and I think that's what makes coaching so, um, so relevant and so useful is when you have an observation-based coach who can look at, have a quick conversation and identify really quick where the weak spots are and then help you shore them up. And, and that's what a coach is all about, is just getting that moving in a way that's meaningful and relevant and strategic. Very much. But those were my first two books. The speaking that you were doing more virtually than ever before, but you were speaking before you ever wrote books. Oh, heck yes. Yeah. yeah. I, I've been speaking for decades. Um, I actually, my business, I started in 04 and I was speaking well before that as a public information officer in my law enforcement career. Um, and I was a teacher in, in that role as well. So yeah. doing bullying campaigns and, and all of those kinds of things, which were the next books after the fundraising on a shoestring. Speaking has just been a big part of my life for a really long time. And it's, it's funny, you know, I, I often think back to my childhood and my, my mom used to say, you know, on the report cards, Faith would do better in school if she just learned to talk less. And uh, so I showed them, didn't I? You know, I'm making, <laughs> yeah. I, I was sharing my opinions. <laughs> school is not all of our lives. Yeah, 
yeah, I started my company in 04. So that means in 2024, my, my company, Inspire Minds, will have been in business as of 4th of January, 2024, for 20 years, which is so fascinating to me. Wow. Uh, the longest I've ever done anything. <laughs> and you've beat so many odds for being in business, let me tell you. So I'm yeah. sure you have a bunch of uh, advice and uh, that you could, a wealth of knowledge that you could share about managing, uh, you know, the struggles of being in business for that length of time, especially with what we've had go on in the two decades that you start, you know, since you started. I mean, we've had financial crashes, we've had tech booms, we've had um, in-person to online, we've had pandemics and such a vast array of knowledge that you could actually share with someone as far as you know someone coming to you for coaching uh, what would you say you focus on or like to attract as far as clients go favorite kind of client tends to be a service-based business you know where where they're in business to serve people i help with the mindset around that that the human relations element, the piece of, you know, I, I like to say that conflict's an inside out job. We start with us first and then we, then we work on everybody else. And really you have to navigate the, the fatigue factor, which I think has, was huge for all of us. The isolation factor, which was really uh, promoted and, and felt profoundly by so many more people. Mm -hmm. That, you know, as a solopreneur, it's a very isolating business. Being a speaker is a very isolating business. And you feel like you're a bit of a road warrior. You know, there's a privilege in the platform. And mm -hmm. so I talk a lot about the, the messaging it needs to be to come from that place of, of privilege, not entitlement. You know, we have, we have an obligation and responsibility that, that if somebody hands you the microphone being hostile, isn't one of the options mm. and that we need to, we need to learn to, to speak in a way that others have capacity to hear us, not pass judgment, not, not to, to scream and pound our fists, but rather to, to come from a place of intelligence, thought provoking curiosity. My business has really been built on the concept of being more curious of, mm. you know, if, if given the opportunity to understand the privilege in that opportunity mm -hmm. and to be able to stand in a place where you've prepared and, and you, you share with great authenticity and with generosity of spirit, um, you know, that it, that it needs to be good for all. And I feel like sometimes we lose that perspective. And so when I go in and I work with teams or I work with organizations, I'm talking a lot about civility these days uh, since you know, post-COVID, but that we somehow have, have lost the ability to stay authentically connected to be generous in how we, we give information. I've always been very, very generous. I, I probably give way more than I receive. If I, I think about my marketing, business is built on referral marketing and always has been, and, and I play the long game. So meaning I wanna have long-term relationships with people and I'm not so worried about making a quick sale. I'm much more concerned about if you hire me that I'm, that whatever I'm going to share has an impact and a relevancy that is, is good for all concerned. So I like to say that I'm, I'm real raw and relevant and I mean, I'll always be politically correct, but I will always be prepared. You know, I, I will put the time in and, and when I show up, I, I don't just sh show up, get on the stage and leave. I'm, I stay in, I stay connected. I'm, I'm working with the event planners. If you, if you end up with a speaker who cancels, I'm standing there. I'm, I'm going to the events. I'm talking to the people. I'm, I'm helping you produce a, a conference or a, an outcome that's memorable. And that's always been my objective. And it's, and it's always worked out very, very well. But I come from service. You know, I, I worked in healthcare and then I worked into law enforcement. And even before healthcare, I was working baggage claims. And as people know from Christmas 2022, which will go down in history as one of the biggest in airlines, I would not have wanted to be working baggage claims during those years. 
but certainly, you know, that back in the early nineties, that was that was a big part of why I'm just a, I'm a person who's in service. Books fall into the same category. I was sitting in an airport on a canceled flight due to weather delays, and you have always these options. You can go and scream at at, a, at an agent that you need to get on the next flight, mm -hmm. or and wait until they have a safe flight for you to take. <laughs> right. I always opt for safe. And, uh, I like, you know, as frustrating as it can be, I, I think that sometimes that inside out job is so important. You know, that peace around just being at peace with where you are and yeah. to be in the moment. And I've been reading self-help books because that's the only bookstore that was open, only had self-help books. And and I was so tired of them. And I've been a couple of days waiting for a flight out. When I decided I'm going to write a book that I want to read when I'm tired. And yeah. but I want the book to still marry up with the work that I do, which is around that observation-based communication. So what do we notice? How do we notice it? What does it tell us? And and then how do we communicate based on, on the information that we're receiving from that observation-based place? Mm -hmm. And so I decided to write a suspense novel and mostly just because we write what we know. And so I, I thought, oh, I'm going to write a, a suspense novel. I like them. I'm interested in them. And, uh, and I thought I could marry up all of my human behavior and communication training, and I could write it into the characters. And then people could accidentally learn something about human behavior if they right. were so inclined the book and you do have an extensive background like hypnotherapy and handwriting analysis and there's more but how did you get into those areas like well, what put you there right like why would somebody take a handwriting analysis course yeah know? i'd love to tell that story they're they're all very linked so um i got injured on the job and when i was still wearing a uniform and i'm a pretty sarcastic human being and no. i believe sarcasm is <laughs> be shared openly with as many people as possible but sarcasm shouldn't hurt people it should be amusing it, it right. should be um it should be done as as a form of comedy and uh, to lighten the, the the mood of a place and that's how i use sarcasm but i i'd come back to work and uh <laughs> and one of the first calls that came in it was snowing it was february and one of the calls that came in was i was riding the desk obviously because i uh, was still fairly injured and so i answered the phone and this gentleman said to me i'm officer i'm trying to get to revelstoke and i wonder if you can tell me when it'll quit snowing and i said what well, let me see if i can get god on the other line <laughs> and i put him on hold and i was very gentle in how i said it like you know, very calm and no, no attacks, no judgments. And my boss was standing behind me and all I could do, I could hear him in the doorway. And he said, uh, so you did not just say that. And I said, well, what else was I going to say? <laughs> and he said, well, he's not going to hold. I said, of course he's going to hold the red light's still blinking. And he said, well, how long are you going to make him wait? I said, well, until I get God on the other line. And so he said, uh, he said, that's ridiculous. Answer the poor man's questions. So I, I looked up the weather and I said, it looks like the weather's supposed to clear. And so you can be on the road, you know, in a few hours. I just watched and make, give, give the road, the snowplows time to clear. And my boss, and another one came up just shortly thereafter. My boss came in and he said, that's it. If you're going to be off on light duties, you need to take a course. And I get you off the phone. Yeah, we gotta get you off the phone. Yeah. And I said, Does the course have to be related to my work. And he said, just pick a course. <laughs> and there was at that time a hypnotherapy course was being brought in through the instructors of new recruits. So all the instructor trainers were getting together from Edmonton Police, Calgary Police, and the RCMP. And they were gonna run this kind of trial run in hypnotherapy. And so because he didn't want me on the phones, I got to take the course. Yeah, and it turned out the course had so much relevancy, but at the time I had no idea. Right. But you know, just what it taught me about identifying how people learn, how they communicate, what's important, that the use of your voice, um, that was probably my best lead into professional speaking. 
Then I went from that one to NLP because the instructor in the hypnotherapy said, the work that you guys do, NLP would be so helpful. And that's just neurolinguistic psychology. And so I was fascinated by then. I was hooked. So I, I signed up and I took those courses. And I got my master's and my trainers in NLP. And so then I was marrying up my hypnotherapy and my NLP. And I went to a hypnosis conference in just outside of Boston, Massachusetts. And while I was there, I'd, I, you know, one of the things I could do was sign up. I, I, I don't like to be inactive. So they get people, if you want to take a, a course that's longer than 45 minutes, you either pay for it or you agree to hold up the sign that says you have five minutes left. You have 10 minutes left. You please repeat the question. And I thought, well, that's dead easy. I'll, I'll do that. I'll hold a sign. And I, I got um, allowed to sit at the back of the room and hold up the sign for a gentleman, Bart Baggett from Handwriting University. And Bart was explaining to hypnotherapists why handwriting analysis would be helpful in terms of working with clients. And at the time I was thinking, the only time I've ever done handwriting analysis was through statement analysis. So if somebody hand wrote a statement out, we would look for the place in the statement where the person was potentially lying. And mm -hmm. so we were looking for certain um, defects in the writing that would lead us to believe that that's where we needed to ask more questions but I had never heard of doing it for personality. And wow. I went, oh, this is so awesome. And so I was just enthralled. He, he sold one course in that room and that was to me. Wow. And I took his full course. I became one of his faculty members the same year. So I studied all of his material. I became one of his faculty members and was speaking in Las Vegas with him. Uh, for several years. He and I are still friends today. He lives in California. Oh. And uh, it, it has been a tremendous asset. Um, I do a lot of, um, in, in my professional speaking, it's the entertainment side of really helping teams and groups understand um, how they can get to know each other better and how can they understand and how can they how can they work with individuals without the judgment and the the guessing uh, mm -hmm. There's so much insight that's available. And I always start by, by demonstrating it with, with a seven word sentence. And then I, I teach people what they're looking at and, and then why that matters. So what do we need to know? Where's somebody's confidence at? How much attention do they like? Where are they likely to be um, to tell a white lie or, you know, be more blunt and straightforward? You know, then I took mediation crisis negotiating all while I was off. I also studied DISC. So that's a behavioral yeah. assessment tool. So um, also a DISC. What does DISC stand for? Do you recall? So it's called insights. It's done through insights personality, but DISC is just D is just the temperament types, D, I, S, and C. So D directive or decisive, I inspirational, S supportive, and C cautious. Oh, and okay. So which personality tendency preference do you have? You know, what mm -hmm. are your behavioral tendencies or preferences? And then how, how you show up in the world, how you communicate, how you participate on a team based on how you show up in your category. And it's very, very, very helpful for so many people to help them understand how to communicate with someone else. Sometimes it's easy for us to communicate with somebody who's like us. In fact, we love to surround ourselves by people who are like us. But what do we do with the ones that are opposite us? And yeah. that's where usually friction happens. That's so having this, having this array of large scope of information that's available and tactical work experience in observation-based communication has been so, so very powerful. I love how you write it into your characters. I'm familiar with both your fiction and your nonfiction, so I'm, I'm spoiled in that regard. The nonfiction, which is self-help, how, how can we get you from this point to this point and make your life easier and coping skills and what to do in challenging situations type of writing. Yep. And then you have your suspense novels, which are detective, investigative, cozy, mystery, suspense. Yep. 
then and you build these characters. Now, I was most familiar with Kobe Colleen, and you brought out another novel series. Yes. But then, too, in all of this, another nonfiction book came along. Yes. And that's not something everybody can do. <laughs> well, I don't know. Maybe just people haven't tried. Well, um, there it is, right? But how, how, how do you do it? And I think it's, you know, it's probably a part of my eclectic mix. But honestly, I'm already working in the nonfiction world. So I, my professional speaking, my consulting, my coaching lends itself to being in a lane of nonfiction. Oh. And so being able to write in that world is I'm very familiar in research. I'm very familiar in content, gathering the data, the content that I need, but also because I write fiction and because I'm really, I tend to be somebody who loves story mm -hmm. and who believes that we learn better through stories. Oh. So I'm always looking at case studies. I'm always looking at opportunities to marry up a storytelling focus in my in my training in my you know in my speaking world so it just naturally floats into the nonfiction world but because I'm so interested in storytelling I'm reading fiction a, a lot as well and so it lends itself then I just married up the work that I'm doing so suspense was ideal because it's all around human behavior. Why did they do what they did? Um, mm -hmm. What were the motivating factors? That investigation hat that I that I wore in my former career lends itself beautifully into writing about suspense and mystery and crime investigation. You know, you think that they're two completely separate lanes, but they actually parallel each other beautifully. I'm just drawing from experiences back and forth into each end of the highway. And so if you think about a freeway going in two directions, mm -hmm. one direction is going in the nonfiction, because I've always got that going anyway. And the other one is going, man, that'd make a great story. Right. And, you know, so in my, in my fiction world, I think the best, um, places that in my, when I wrote my first book, I had told myself a story. I have no idea how to write fiction. And I think we all do this at some level in our, in our lives, in our businesses, we shut ourselves down really early mm. and we think, I don't know how to do that. And so we resist kind of jumping into the deep end of the pool and just figuring it out. Right. But I'm a big risk taker. And so <laughs> I thought, I'm just going to write it. And I, I talked to a lot of people. I, I formed a small group that, that were my test readers in the early yeah. days. And I sent it out to my test readers to tell me, am I writing myself into a corner? Like, do you know who did it? You know, as I'm writing. And so I got lots of really great feedback. I got a, I got an editor and she's been fabulous in terms of really helping me fine tune that. But but I also have these friends who run a videography company. Oh yeah. And they, they talk about creating video story or TV, TV series style stories. And so they came and stayed with me and uh, we were looking at my first novel being taken into the TV series world. I have, a, you know, a retainer on it. it hasn't happened yet, but I have a retainer on the first two books that they can turn into a TV series. And so that was super helpful as I became a fiction writer because talking to people who think in TV, they started mm -hmm. talking about having three storylines in every book. And so, and, and how much character development and how, you know, how deep do you go? And so I've learned so much, but I'm a, I'm a girl who loves to learn, I'm curious. And I've always been curious and I lead from curiosity. And so one book, you know, I was always just going to write one book. Then I was only going to write three books. Then mm -hmm. I was going to end the series at five. I always, for some reason, I had this weird idea that a series should end on an odd number. So I have eight in the first series. <laughs> Not an odd number. <laughs> Does that mean there's another book coming? <laughs> And, and now I'm, I'm into the second series and, and I don't know how many books it'll have, uh, but it's, it's, you know, when people talk about what do you do on the side of your desk, you know, um, I guess writing is mine. I, 
I play with writing. My new thing is now I'm creating games for workshops. Nice. Uh, so doing game theory, which I think is a lot in alignment with um, with, write, with storytelling. So now how do you bring game theory into serious work so that, yeah. that your teams are more actively involved in the content? You know, when we play, everything anchors. It's crazy, I, right? I, I you, think, you know the psychology behind all that. I don't. I just know it works. <laughs> and, and so that's that's my new kind of my new play. So I'm writing book three. I've started book four in the second series. Mm. So I've just about finished book three. Book four is started. I, I have the title for book five. Wow. So I don't know where we're going to go from there if I'll get those all done because I'm also now doing how do I build game theory into my day job? Um, so I'm having a lot of fun, you know, and, and I think that as long as we're always innovating and we're, you know, we don't get, we don't get stale. The bulk of my work is around mindset and what's yeah. the mindset that prevents you from doing the really cool things in life, you know, and, and you don't have to be, I think sometimes perfectionists think they have to know all the answers or they, they have to know how great it's going to be. I, I never have any idea whether my books will get traction. I have no idea if, if um, the games will get traction, but I just want to do it. I just want to figure it out. And so I'm having lots of fun in that regard. And you mentioned, you know, this back and forth, uh, one of my most recent nonfiction books that came out, came out through a compelling need. Mm -hmm. And that was, it's called Fractures. And it's taking a look at toxicity in families, toxic behaviors in families. And it took me two years to write. I understand that why, not only because of the personal element, because you shared some of that with me already, but also having read it, I did not know a lot of the personalities, what they were even, you hear the words all the time, you know, narcissist is like, okay, well, I don't really know what that is, but you did a fantastic job of in case study form, actual examples of families, not only a definition of what it is, the character displaying it in your words, it Oh, I recognize that in that person, <laughs> in me. It's like, oh, do am I a narcissist? <laughs> do I? Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really wanted to bring kind of the fiction element to the nonfiction, bringing that storytelling. So I, you know, in that book, I interviewed families. I took the elements that, of them telling their story and shared that in the book. And so yeah. there's somebody within the family member in a different place in the family for every single be toxic behavior. And I, I do hope that it will help a lot of people. It's deeply personal and, uh, and it can be so challenging for so many people. And I'm, I'm really keen to see, um, keen to see it kind of come to life to get recognized a bit. I think a lot of us are talking about, um, talking about those toxic behaviors, but we talk about it at a really high level. And I wanted to bring it down and make it really relevant. And that was the goal with that book, to, to tell it from a story perspective. Well, I encourage everybody to go and read it, not only if they feel like they might have a toxic behavior in a relationship, but just to be aware, because there are so many of, like, there's not just one toxic behavior. There are multiples of them. And and to be aware of them, because, you know, reading that book could possibly be the thing that says, oh, I didn't even recognize this was toxic. Or I have a friend who's dealing with this and I have no idea why there's an issue at all. But then you suddenly realize, okay, well, maybe they have this type of a relationship around them. And I, I found it very awareness building yeah, from that regard, because I wasn't aware of all of the different toxic relationships or the fact that I'm actually in some, yeah. right? And then now I have not only awareness, education, but I also have, you know, those tools that I can apply to say, okay, this is the situation I'm in right now. What happened in Facebook? Right. There's that that lady there with the dog. Yeah, that's her. That's that's that toxic person. That's what I'm having a problem with right now. <laughs> you know, it's the, it's the context building. Yeah. You know, and I think sometimes the the biggest thing that eludes us is context. Mm -hmm. And so when we can create some context, it helps us identify without the judgment, uh, without the harshness, without the feeling like 
won't be accepted or, you know, everyone's got trials. Everyone's got tribulations. Everyone's got unsettled affairs. Everyone. Yeah, the and labeling and the stigma can be too much. It's shining light on the fact that these exist and we all have one or more of them. Unless we live in a bubble all by ourselves and even then, uh, you know, we're probably our, our own toxic relationship. It's, it's that observation-based communication again. Yeah. That, you know, that's kind of where I started my career. It's where I've continued my career. And it's, you know, um, I call my company Inspiring Minds for a reason because the goal is to inspire the mind. And to be the person we want to be friends with. Stephen Covey once said, treat people the way you want to be treated. Right. And the reality is, I think that the bulk of us will take a lot. And I wouldn't want to treat anybody the way sometimes I get treated. I would like us all to subscribe to, you know, kind of adopt a mantra that says, um, do no harm. And yeah. if we could, to treat others the way we would want our grandmother treated, our daughters, mm. our dogs, you know, to really think about that, that when we go to speak harshly to a, to a customer service agent, or we lose our cool in the, in the grocery store, or we come unhinged at a, at a children's um, soccer game, mm -hmm. to really think about that piece of who am I and how do I want to be remembered? And, and I think that that's a big part of the work that I do with teams and organizations is to really think about you, the brand, who are you on your best day and how do we develop more opportunity to see more of that? Mm. And if we don't talk about the toxic stuff, that, that stuff that's really painful that people keep hidden, if we don't bubble it up so we can have real, honest, authentic conversations that move us forward not keep us stuck. And, mm -hmm. and I, I'm really keen on moving forward that the past does not define us. And it, it is a part of our story, but we can live beyond that story at any opportunity. So the work that I love doing is helping people recognize that they have the potentiality inside them should they choose to claim it. And, yeah. and that's the the piece that just lights me up. A lot of the work that I've been doing lately is coming in and working with leadership teams. I do a little bit of presentations to the front line because they're usually immensely entertaining because I'm full of stories, apparently. <laughs> and, uh, and then hire me to work with the leadership team to really change culture and cohesiveness in teams. Um, I was born a twin, so I think teams comes naturally to me. Mm -hmm. It's just a part innately of how I think and how I function. I think in terms of cohesive groups. And so you can hire me as a mediator, um, you know, coming in and, and helping in small fragments where there's been, you know, some big dissolution. You can, I've even gone in and done some pretty big mediations between unions and, and organizations as well. And then as an entertainer, so handwriting analysis, hypnotherapy, all of it. It sounds like I have this really crazy, eclectic, massive amount of offering. And most people say pick a lane, but my lane is, is the mental magic. It's, it's yeah. the mindset. And, and so I use hypnotherapy to demonstrate it. I use handwriting analysis to decode it. Um, I use the storytelling and the, so lot, lots around that observation-based communication or observation-based thinking. So nonverbal body language, all of that stuff, how it connects in, how it creates a tracer, and then yeah. contextually, how do you shift that so you could do something over received differently? And so it, it sounds like it's massive and yet it's still in the same lane. I'm just using different strategies to make it easier for people to play. Uh, like, I know that you've done hypnotherapy on the big event, uh, people in front of you in the chairs, kind, kind of an atmosphere, but you also do it one-on-one. -on -one. So uh, there are, there are some benefits to the hypnotherapy on the one-on-one -on -one end. Yeah. So, you know, if we think about, I think there's a huge movement right now around being more mindful, being more present. I think that there are a lot of people in this planet who are feeling overwhelmed and fatigued. We're certainly hearing Certainly a, a big focus has been on depression and, and the impact of depression and how frequent it is, you know, that beh hidden behind these big smiles that we see are some pretty depressed people. 
And so hypnotherapy, we often think of one-on-one as weight loss and stop smoking, but those, those are very high for a lot of hypnotherapists, but they've never been my big ones. And I think it's because of all my other work. So mine (laughs) tends to be around the stress, the focus, um, the stuff that's tripping us up. I've been doing a lot of work around uh, looking back into the past. So what hooked you, what's kept you stuck? And, you know, what is that tracer? What is the story that's continually repeating? And then using hypnotherapy to help you stop repeating the things that are not working for you. So really looking at desirable and undesirable results. Not that I won't do weight loss and, and stop smoking. I certainly have a few of those clients. And, and you know, at this time of year, it's alcohol. You know, everybody wants to quit drinking in January. Well, but- dry February is coming. Yeah. <laughs> On that quicker than February 1st, you know? <laughs> yeah. But thinking about mindset, you know, I do a lot with athletes, you know, that performance-driven success. So really tapping into that part of the brain that can manifest. That's my jam. So how do you manifest what you really want in your life? You know, not just to, to do a vision board, but to really cement it in and to really know that you can have it, to, to create something. It's how I built my business. It's how I've kept it going. You know, just that real clear focus. And that's where I love the hypnotherapy side of things. Now, I understand too, though, guided meditation can help that as well, which is another one of your offerings. Well, guided meditation is actually hypnotherapy. It's just if you don't like the term, we call it guided visualization. So (laughs) some people don't like it. It's it's a very hypnotic process. It is is a meditative guided meditation, which in, in essence is guided hypnosis. Okay. So, you know, I just learned a thing too. <laughs> Again, faith. Uh, and a lot of people are more comfortable, you know, people feel more comfortable thinking they're doing guided meditation versus hypnosis. There's that mind control element, right? That it was, people yeah. have the misdemeanor that hypnosis is actually controlling your mind. Where I know that we did a session. Uh, wow. That's a long time ago now. Whew. I can't even remember exactly what year it was. But one of the things that was very clear to me is that at no point in time did I not have control. Control. Right? Control. And so that that's a, a very, very important element for anybody who's got any kind of hesitation around meditation or hypnotherapy because you reassured me that there was nothing I would do that I wouldn't naturally do. Yeah. So you if know. you think about it, you know, some people drink to reduce their inhibitions. Mm. Hypnotherapy reduces the inhibition without the alcohol. (laughs) (laughs) Trying to remember what that session was like now. (laughs) We stand in our own way. You know, our our fears have have come through experience, you know, post-traumatic stress, lots of things that happen in people's lives that create Mm -hmm. a a friction or resistance. Mm -hmm. And then you start to give up on yourself. And what I love about the hypnotherapy is it helps remind you of where your strength is, and then uses, leverages, real anchoring. You know, because I also took NLP, use a lot of physical anchors that help remind you during the day, all the time, that you have the strength, the courage, the tenacity, the discipline to be able to do it differently. And and I work with a lot of students that are struggling with studying and exam anxiety. And that's so, to me, that's a game changer. If we can teach people how, how to learn, how to put information in and then get it out. Cause one thing to put it in, it's another to be able to get it out again mm-hmm. and get it out when you need it. Right. Uh, that gift I think is a lifelong gift. You know, how do we, how do we take in all this information? We're, we're so such an onslaught of information coming at us at all times. Yeah. And so just, to really recognize that there is a strategic way to layer um, information and then to manifest that information when you need it most. So to be able to bring it back and leverage it. I'm, I'm very much a how do you do something as opposed to focusing on the why you do something. So although I understand the why, the how is more powerful. Yeah. And so can learn what's what's creating the resistance and then how do we stop having resistance when it's producing an undesirable result That's where the addiction stuff comes in right is that you know you have this 
maybe you shop or maybe you have a sex addiction or you have, you know, smoking or you have all of these other vices because they're covering something up, a hurt, a, a, a sense of angst about something. And so I love to peel that back a little bit and then help people realize that is not how we were born. You never see a four-year-old say, I'm not the kind of person who such a big piece of really getting back to, to who we genuinely are. Our brains are so powerful. Um, I study neuroplasticity all the time, all the new information that's coming out around neuroscience. I just absorb like a sponge. It's so enlightening to me in terms of what we're doing to ourselves and in general, how do we live in communities and how, how could we, you know, what could we be doing? And right. I love, love, love that piece of really just stepping into what we're born to be and how we're born to be. And if we could just, you know, take away all the hurt and the betrayal and the, the things that have gotten in the way and, and start realizing who we truly are and what we're truly capable of. And then give that gift back to somebody Mm -hmm. and watch them move forward in a new way. You really are giving someone their life back. A chance, right? And it's so valuable. I encourage you to go and find out more about Faith Wood. She's put a lot of energy into her platforms and she's got a lot of gifts to give. Speaking of gifts, she's got some for you too. The uh, Accidental Audience, as an ebook is a perma-free right. then then there is i've got three or four hypnotherapy mp3s that can be mm. downloaded for free uh, if you join my insiders club where you get to talk to me more often my insiders club i give you three short ebooks for free wonderful so those are available as soon as you sign up why have you bundled these three together because they're ones that were being asked for a lot and they're really short, lots of graphics, short, and they kind of give you a taster pack of, so band of blame is about how we blame other people. It's the conflict piece is, you know, just the foray into why is conflict so prevalent? Right. And so we really need to stop doing this. Liar, liar, which is a body language. So reading the, the clues on body language, everybody always wants to know, how do I know if somebody's lying to me? It gives those nonverbal cues. So what are those nonverbal ticks that tell you that somebody potentially is lying to you and the handwriting analysis. Um, Okay. So those are great giveaways. So I I encourage everybody to go and get those, but what are other ways that we can work with you? You know, the books, the voiceovers, the narrating, the the fiction books, the suspense novels. Yeah. Super fun. fun. You know, so if somebody's looking for somebody who's, you know, capable of that, all of those books are on Faithwood. You can hire me as a speaker. You can hire me in as a coach. You can bring me in as a consultant. If you want the consulting, the coaching, the training side of faith, that's it. I mind because I really do mind. (laughs) And, and, you know, obviously Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter. Um, You can find me in all of those places. Definitely find out more about Faith Wood. Check out everything that she has to offer. Conflict management, conflict resolution, all that fun stuff too she can help you with. Faith, thank you so very much for being a guest of Online for Authors. Oh, thank you, Jen. It's always a pleasure to speak with you and I'm so glad we were able to do this. Well, I love sharing you. So, so easy to do. (laughs) Thank you. Share me everywhere. Thank you, Visibility Pod, for all your services and management of our podcast.